Providing society with the energy it needs is getting more challenging by the day, thanks to greater emissions, urbanisation and climate change. Many researchers are following the promising path of moving towards renewable energy sources such as wind power and solar energy. Our speaker today is Associate Professor Vahid Nick, a mechanical engineer who works from both Lund University and Chalmers University of Technology in Sweden. Vahid has research interests in the fields of energy, buildings and climate change. This podcast discusses an initiative called Urban Energy Hub, which aims for a higher integration of renewables in urban energy systems and shows how this has worked in practice in Switzerland and Sweden. Please enjoy this IFE podcast. So, good day everyone. Uh, I'm happy to be here and um, yeah, uh, Laurie uh, said a little about me, but just just to give you a brief introduction about myself. So I'm a mechanical engineering, then uh, I moved to Sweden in two, from two, uh, in 2005, then uh, got my PhD in 2012 in building physics at Chalmers University. Then I was postdoctoral researcher at EPFL in Switzerland for one year, then starting my um, career at Lund University. And now I'm working as associate professor at Lund University, and I'll, I'm also affiliated uh, with Chalmers University. So I'm mostly developing new research areas in at Chalmers as well as Lund University. So and my research interests are uh, more about impact assessment of climate change than uh, energy performance of buildings. Now I'm expanding more towards energy systems, uh, looking into buildings and the energy systems them together and uh, uh, let's say looking for different influencing factors there and we're hoping for reaching to interesting solutions for integrating more renewables to the energy system and yeah just a little about uh, the two universities that I come from one is in Lund, southern Sweden, so it's Copenhagen. Um, it's around 40 minutes train from Copenhagen airport, airport to Lund. Then the other city is uh, here, Gothenburg, around two hours train uh, from Lund up. And then Chalmers University is here at, uh, in Gothenburg. So Lund University was founded in uh, 1666, then around 42,000 students each year we get, then 7,500 employees, and then the other, uh, let's say, measures. Then two, uh, there are two facilities that Lund University is very proud of. Uh, one is Max 4 Laboratory, so it's a world-leading synchrotron radiation lab. So mostly for physicists, but also chemists and people who are doing research on biochemistry or even bioengineering, uh, they are uh, 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 working there. And actually, it's some of that has been uh, based on national funding and some of that on European. So there are many universities uh, uh, doing research there as well. The other one, which is still on, uh, under construction, is ESS, European Spallation Source. So this one is going to be, um, let's say, open in 2025, mostly on European uh, funding. 
and there are seven uh, countries uh, involved. And at Loon University, we have eight faculties, as you see here, and I'm coming from this uh, engineering faculty, which we call it also LTH, or Loon Technische Hogeschule. So, and under each faculty, we have departments. So I come from this uh, building and environmental technology department, and under each department, we have divisions, which I come from this uh, building physics division. So at Chalmers, uh, which is in uh, Gothenburg, this one is a bit younger than Lund University. And then uh, it's a technical university, so the number of students are less, but it's a very active uh, technical university in Sweden. And uh, there we have 13 departments and eight areas at the, of advance. So these are uh, the departments I, uh, I belong to architecture and civil engineering. Then areas of advance are uh, the areas that Chalmers University says, okay, we, we are stronger and we are developing, the, let's say, they promote our research there as well as other, but for these areas, they, let's say, somehow promote the research here uh, more, and they specify some extra funding for research here. So what I do so far is mostly uh, under these building futures and energy areas, but uh, there is no limit any research, uh, any area we can touch, as long as the research is related to what we do. So at the Division of Building Technology, there are four research groups, so building materials, building physics, infrastructure physics, and sustainable buildings. Uh, I did my PhD with this group, building physics. Now I'm mostly working with this uh, infrastructure physics group. So in infrastructures, for sure, we are expanding more towards urban and more than urban. Uh, the scale is, um, uh, we don't limit ourselves only to buildings. So, the talk today is more, uh, as you've read, it's about Urban Energy Hub, which is um, an approach that we are working on to integrate more renewables to the energy system. The thing is, in Europe, they are trying to uh, reach to the goal of 100% renewable energy sources. In Sweden, they promote it. Uh, in Switzerland, they are thinking of phasing out um, nuclear uh, plants by 2035. So they should uh, cover the energy demand from uh, renewable sources. The thing is when we look at Europe, so oh, let's say at least some of the countries there, the energy demand uh, or the use of energy is quite uh, different and the loads uh, you, you need to cover. Because some of the countries are really, uh, they have very uh, warm summers, like here. For example, if you look at um, Greece. And then uh, uh, some of the countries are mostly, uh, let's say, um, deal with, uh, are dealing with these cold winters like Scandinavian countries. So the demand or requirements are different. And when we are looking into the future of energy systems, we need to consider different things. 
because nowadays um, many like to live in cities or urban areas. They have their jobs, and then the urbanization uh, is increasing. And according to United Nations statistics, is increasing all over the world. So then, uh, if we want to integrate more renewables, then it comes with its specific challenges because uh, these sources are not available all the time, like like the traditional uh, sources. So there are different challenges that or uh, points that we need to consider. So if we look at the, let's say, uh, one urban area, then it's mostly made of buildings. And let's say you have the transport there as well, uh, cars. But so far, we don't look at transport that much, but maybe in future. Uh, and uh, if, it's, if the energy grid is connected to the, uh, let's say, power plant, then if we want to integrate more renewables, then we have uh, kind of scattered generation uh, sources. So then there are different factors that affect the energy performance of the urban area and buildings like climate, then type of buildings, type of appliances you have, and then user behavior, and um, several other factors. So each can be divided in uh, or affected by uh, uh, other uh, smaller factors. So what we need to look at is, or we need to understand the promising pathways for energy transition. So then we need to have kind of assessment of uh, future scenarios for, uh, for our cities or urban areas. Then we need to consider and quantify the uncertainties because these uncertainties affect our design in some cases considerably, especially when you look at hourly time scale. Um, and also we need to find the uh, optimum uh, pathways because always, I mean, that optimum depends on the criteria you're looking at. It can be, for example, economy or environment or a combination of all, which is usually uh, the combination of uh, several important factors. In our studies, let's say we look at different parts. For example, we, uh, if we look at the energy hub uh, for, for the, let's say, the uh, let's say future energy solutions that we uh, we think for uh, our, our urban areas, then the idea that we are working with is the energy hub. So the energy hub, the simple definition is that it's a functional unit capable of transforming, conditioning, and storing several kinds of energy. And the aim is higher integration of renewables and decentralized generation in the energy hub, uh, in the urban. So sorry, I missed some uh, points there. Anyhow, then uh, so the optimum goal for us is to add renewables and clean energy as much as possible for future of our uh, uh, cities. So there is one project that we are working on at EPFL in Switzerland. Uh, so uh, the Sun Prera is a PhD student who, uh, who's working on that. And the project is about future energy efficient buildings and districts. So what the SUN does is mostly modeling and assessment of urban energy systems. 
So in Switzerland, it's um, it's a large national project in uh, together. I mean, several universities like EPFL and ETH Zurich, and some energy companies. So they are running this whole future energy efficient buildings and districts. And then we divide that to different sub projects, and each sub project is a postdoc or PhD project. To have, let's say, very overall view about what we do is that if we, for example, if we look at this part, which is uh, one part of Geneva, then we collect basic data. It's both, uh, let's say, demand data, uh, information about buildings, and then also um, um, potentials for renewables there. Then uh, we determine the demand. So we get some distributed demand map. It can be uh, for sure distributed on this special scale. And we also assess the potential for adding renewables in the area, like solar energy, wind energy, and etc. And the approach that we have is that when we have this distributed demand, then we cluster the demand. So we divide. Uh, the demand based mostly based on the geographical location, clustering them. For example, we say this neighborhood, there is one large demand, the, the other neighborhood as well. Then we uh, map the renewable energy quantitatively, and then we uh, come to the next step, which is designing the electric, uh, in this case, the paper was about electric hub, but in general, designing the uh, energy hub. So the energy hub, for example, uh, which uh, you can assume that these green dots are here, uh, the energy hub, and the demand dots are connected to that. And the energy hub also can get connected to the uh, energy network that we have, to the grid. So then uh, we assess the whole uh, energy hub. So for example, the renewables, uh, it can be um, solar energy and wind energy that we look at. Then uh, we can have internal combustion generation, battery banks for uh, storing energy, and then get connected to the uh, electricity grid. And then here, uh, here we have demand. And then in this part, it's all the modeling and assessment that we do like um, uh, multi-criteria decision-making and optimization to reach to the, uh, let's say, optimum design for the energy hub. So if we, if we consider or want to have a superstructure for the energy system, let's say if we start with one dispatchable generation, uh, 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 like, for example, this generator, then we have a combination of the generator with the renewables and then the storage. So, and after the storage, we can have also cascade storage, and then we come to the, uh, let's say, the combination of the whole dispatchable generation, non-dispatchable generation, then, uh, and the storage as well. And then what we are looking at is at the end the uh, profiles of the demand and generation. Um, we find the mismatch, the load mismatch, and then uh, for this we usually look at the hourly time scale to cover the, um, let's say, peak hours and also to cover the, uh, 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 the average performance of the, of the energy uh, system. 
So this one is from another researcher, the, the slide. So uh, the preliminary phase, there is another colleague of mine and uh, some other PhD students, they look into this part, the, uh, the GIS data, using GIS data to assess the demand or, uh, and also generation. Then we have the pre-process phase, then uh, for doing this part, we usually do uh, an, um, simulation of buildings, energy simulation of buildings to generate the uh, profiles. Then here is what you, uh, the Sun does, designing phase, which is this uh, multi-objective sizing and dispatch optimization. And then the rest also uh, we do, for example, considering different scenarios. So we assess the performance of the energy system and we look at, for example, uh, the life cycle costs, the emissions, and then, for example, uncertainties due to uh, weather data sets uh, and climate change, for example. These are, I mean, uh, we have started working on this, but not that many results published yet, hopefully soon. So another factor which uh, affects the energy performance of the whole neighborhood or urban area and cities is the quality of buildings. And usually, and nowadays in Europe, they have started, let's say, at least from uh, seven years ago, retrofitting buildings, financing projects on that in both national and European uh, scale. So, um, and retrofitting buildings, there are many, uh, let's say, uh, lousy buildings in, in uh, uh, Europe, which their energy performance is not good, uh, even in Sweden. Uh, so for retrofitting buildings, there can be several strategies depending on the budget, on the type of the building. Um, let's say it comes also into the, let's say the budget of the state and many other factors. So at the end, you cannot say the, um, they set for sure, uh, let's say standards for, for building. For example, they said the energy performance cannot be more than X kilowatt hour per, hour, uh, kilowatt hour per square meter. But at the end, it's, uh, you're not sure about the uh, meeting the goals or the actual, how is the actual performance at the end. So then uh, for looking into retrofitting, then we need to deal with different strategies for retrofitting buildings, which results in different uh, energy profiles or demand profiles. For example, in Sweden, I looked into 30 cities. Then the whole residential building in Sweden is statistically represented by uh, 1,400 buildings. And then uh, I looked into 12 retrofitting methods or strategies for buildings and then combinations of them. So then, uh, and also I considered climate change then you can imagine uh, how many data sets or simulations I'm supposed to do just to get the hourly time scale uh, and uh, energy profiles. Then uh, you, at the end, there is one challenge here is all the time you get lots of data. And uncertainty is here as well a bit high. Another interesting factor is that when we come to um, more compact cities, for example, just imagine Singapore, 
if you retrofit one building, uh, for example, one high-rise building here can represent one neighborhood in Sweden because it's too much demand in only one building. And then if you have a, uh, several of these buildings around each other, close to each other, then uh, retrofitting each of them affects the uh, energy or demand profile you get enormously. So it's, it's uh, these kind of uh, compact urban areas are, are, uh, are really interesting to study uh, I mean, on, uh, when we look at the energy system. Um, then another factor which affects the energy scenarios for, for urban areas is climate. And for me, uh, climate change has been always an interesting research topic. And the thing is climate change affects both the generation and demand scenarios. Because then, uh, uh, for example, you may get uh, solar radiation doesn't change for sure, but you may get, uh, uh, for example, higher wind speeds or lower wind speeds or more variations. Usually, it's uh, um, the extremes that are very important for uh, climate, future climate scenarios. And there are two approaches when you look at uh, future uh, climates. Uh, the one approach is usually what to do to prevent or decrease climate change. This one, they usually call it climate change mitigation. The, another, uh, the other approach is how to face it or how to decrease future risks. This one uh, usually is called climate change adaptation. And what I do uh, is usually this part, climate change adaptation, but for sure, if you come with more, let's say, green solutions, then it will be less CO2 and it will come to this climate change uh, mitigation as well. If you believe in emissions and their effect on climate change. What we do is usually called impact assessment of climate change. So there we say, uh, okay, climate change is happening and there will be future conditions for future climate, how to face it. And so far, my approach has been uh, using future climate scenarios out of numerical simulations, which are done by climate scientists, then synthesizing weather data sets for my simulations, uh, both on the demand and generation side, and then assessing results. I use climate data out of global climate models, which are numerical simulation um, of the planet together. I mean, with the, uh, you have the land, uh, water, and the whole atmosphere. So they simulate the, the whole. And then uh, there are different, um, they, previously they were calling them emission scenarios nowadays, representative concentration pathways, or RCPs. Let's say this one is that depend, for example, these assumptions you apply to your model uh, for uh, running future uh, conditions, saying, for example, I have this amount of CO2 emitted to the atmosphere, or A, or B, or C, or, uh, or any. 
So depending on what climate, uh, or what, what RCP or emission scenario you consider, uh, you will get different future uh, conditions. And then like any other numerical model, you need initial conditions and initial conditions also can affect the outcome of the model. And then these data out of global climate model you cannot use in uh, your energy simulations. Then we need to downscale data. Uh, what I do is using regional climate models. And then I use the data out of it. The thing is for each stage you have several models, assumptions, or conditions. And you cannot say which one is better than the other. So we need to consider several scenarios to have a valid assessment. Otherwise, uh, we miss, I mean, the uncertainties are huge and we cannot neglect uh, any, otherwise our research is not uh, really scientifically valid. And then depending, and you can get also several special resolutions. So then one, a challenge for us is always dealing with several weather data sets. And depending on the weather data, the future conditions can be quite different. Though they, they may say, I mean, they all of them are verified, showing the same historical behavior. But when the model evolves by time, the outcome is different. So for example, here it shows that if you have this RCP 8.5 or RCP 2.6, so the difference you, can, you get in the average on large time scale can be around 3.5 degrees. So, and it's huge. Just imagine, for example, in 2070 to 2100, the average temperature for the whole period is three degrees more than the other scenario. It affects the whole, uh, let's say, uh, performance of this atmosphere in the uh, planet. So then we cannot neglect these uncertainties. So our the one big challenge for us is dealing with uncertainties and apparently large data sets we get. And another thing with this future climate is the extreme events uh, because uh, uh, probably, let's say, uh, the phenomena that affects our lives uh, more is these extreme events. For example, extreme cold or hot days and flooding and these things. And these extreme events are usually neglected by typical weather data sets that we are using. For example, nowadays, most of us, if we want to use, if we want to simulate the energy performance, for example, of this building in Brisbane, we use the typical weather data, they usually call it TMY or any TMY 2, 3, whatever. So those are a typical conditions out of 30 years and usually missing the extreme conditions. So, and these extreme conditions are the, let's say, important ones for us if he assess future conditions. And especially, for example, if you look at the energy performance of the whole city, then your city may uh, um, do well for 30 years, but they may have, uh, there, uh, you may have, for example, each year one very cold or one very uh, warm week, then you get uh, uh, extreme 
let's say, load on the energy system, and you may have, uh, uh, let's say, in 2006 or 2003 in Europe, um, because of one week, one extreme hot weeks, there were around 70,000 uh, deaths reported, mostly elderies and uh, uh, small kids. And these are the effects that we want to, uh, let's say, avoid in future. So, and it's on early scale when we go to the energy system. So. There are two approaches to avoid this, uh, to deal with this, uh, let's say, uncertainties and large data sets. One is using a statistical methods that um, I have spent some time on doing that and have some publications there. But the, another approach that I recently developed is using representative weather data sets for future climate. So in this method, I, instead of looking uh, into only one typical weather data, I, you, I uh, look into one typical and two extremes. So if you assume we have, for example, let's say five future climate scenarios, and we are looking for uh, 2070 to 2100, then uh, 30 years, so f then in total we get 150 years, okay? Then uh, looking into 150 years, I look into the distri uh, distribution, or let's say the CDF, cumulative distribution function of these, for example, the temperature. And then I pick the, uh, the months which are uh, represented or very close to the average conditions and the months which are the extremes. Then I generate three data sets. One is uh, typical, the other two are extremes. Then I use my, I, I run my energy simulations. So now instead of running, for example, just imagine I want to run 150 uh, uh, simulations for 150 buildings. Instead of uh, running 150 multiplied by 150, now I run only 150 multiplied by three. So I use only three data sets. So the number of simulations are decreased. Uh, then, uh, I have shown that if you look at the, uh, let's say, distribution of the extreme and typicals together, we get a distribution very similar to running all the uh, years. Uh, let's say very similar to the case of running all 150 years of data. So then uh, I have adopted this approach in energy simulations when, uh, when we consider the flexibility of the, of the grid or, or the energy system. So for adding renewable energy potential and energy demand of the building. So then the results uh, here, for example, uh, it's kind of possibility approach that we have looked in. If we look into the distribution of, for example, in this case, I are uh, five uh, distributions. For example, uh, just imagine from zero to hundred percent. I look at the first twenty percent, then the second twenty percent, then the the third. 
And uh, results are still under assessment. We have sent one uh, a paper to a journal, and we are waiting for the review. Hopefully, uh, we can publish this one. The uh, other approach we have looked at uh, to decrease the number of, uh, to decrease the simulation time, because simulation time and also the time we spend for optimizing the energy system is always an issue. It takes so long. So we use GPU. This is one approach we have uh, recently adopted to decrease the simulations. And uh, yeah, this one also, uh, the soon and another guy from um, um, computer science has worked on. We have sent one, uh, one paper. Uh, we hope we can publish that as well. But um, we are going to look into impacts, uh, impact of uh, uh, climate change and the energy, uh, let's say, system, looking into the demand and renewable generation using the same approach um, to decrease the energy demand, uh, to decrease the, uh, sorry, to decrease the uh, uh, computation load, and also to uh, deal with the uncertainties that we get here. So then another thing that affects the energy performance of the whole energy system is the urban morphology and microclimate. So we also look at the microclimates. Then this is one work that we have recently done in uh, uh, EPFL. So they have their own tool. They call it CitySim at EPFL, and they have integrated one um, urban or microclimate tool uh, and running energy simulations by first simulating the urban microclimate and then running uh, uh, simulations for buildings. So what they have shown that is that the microclimate for sure affects the, our uh, prediction of the energy demand. Um, for example, if you assume the urban, urban usually here is urban heat, heat island. If you, if you neglect urban heat island, the cooling demand you uh, calculate for buildings probably is much less. So we need to consider this uh, uh, microclimate. And we are going to consider this microclimate also for future, uh, uh, future climate scenarios because the extreme conditions you get may, uh, may be uh, larger or smaller. We don't know yet. Depends on the phenomenon that we are looking at in the, in the urban scale or the micro scale. Usually it gets, uh, let's say, more amplified, uh, the extreme event. Another work that we are working with, uh, I'm working with uh, Kawan. Uh, we're looking into different urban configurations uh, for for city of Tehran in Iran. We, this city also has very uh, warm summers. So they're looking into different urban configurations, and the aim is to decrease the um, cooling demand and increase the ventilation uh, potentials for buildings. I think what he has done is around uh, 1,600 uh, combinations of different configurations. And uh, we are still working on that. And after, hopefully, after finishing this phase, we will look at the effects of climate change into this. At the end, the user behavior, we haven't done that much work on that. And hopefully, 
by sharing some, let's say, uh, let's say work in the knowledge from QUT and LURI, then we will develop more here. Uh, because it's it's an important factor because at the end what we are looking for is having providing uh, let's say comfortable com conditions for human being even inside buildings or outside buildings because urban urban comfort can be an uh, issue as well so hopefully we initiate some work here and then uh, hopefully we get some funding at that. And some other uh, topics that I'm looking for, or let's say we are aiming for both at Chalmers and Lund University, are smart cities. Uh, it seems that in Sweden now there are uh, allocating some funding on uh, smart cities. So we, are, we have started uh, touching the field, but haven't published yet. Then user behavior and human factor, hopefully from after this visit, uh, I will start uh, working on that more seriously. And then resilient infrastructures. Uh, we work on that on European scale. We have um, by resilient infrastructures, uh, we mean uh, climate resilient infrastructures. And climate resilient means mostly those infrastructures, they are resilient against these extreme events, which is like uh, landslide or flooding. Because by these extreme events, uh, we will have more landslide or flooding. Landslide, not that much in Scandinavia, but in southern Europe, it's, a, it's an issue. And we sent one uh, large application, which didn't get funded, but, but it was a, uh, the research idea is good, and we will continue working there. And for these uh, resilient infrastructures, we, the idea is to have this digital twinning. So what we uh, mean by that is that, for example, if you assume one bridge, one main bridge in one city or between two cities, and uh, we model the bridge in computer, then uh, we have sensors on the bridge or using drones to collect data in, let's say, on any time scale that which is required, then feeding our model with this data. So the data works like the boundary conditions and also the actual conditions of the bridge. So that model all the time represents the actual conditions. So with this we call it digital twin. So and we are we are hoping to attract some money here as well. And then microclimate and climate change, as I told, it's uh, as I told you earlier, it's uh, one part that we are working nowadays more and more. Um, yeah, then that's it. Thank you very much for your attention. You've been listening to a podcast from the IFE. To stay up to date with our podcast, please subscribe to our channel. You can also visit us on the web at www.qut.edu.au slash IFE. And we're also on Twitter at IFE underscore QUT and Instagram at IFE.QUT. We really hope you enjoyed this IFE podcast.